And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. The Hagman and Hagman Report. This day, folks, this broadcast is going to be something, well, it's going to be perhaps one of the most important broadcasts we've ever done, and I don't say that lightly. Welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report listeners in North America, the United States, all around the world. This is a clearing call. You want to know about Syria? The front lines. You want to know what's going on in Syria? You want to know what you, as Christians, can do to ensure, to 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 help other Christians. You want to understand the genocide that's taking place in Syria. You want to understand what's taking place. There's one person that we have on, along with his partners, He's the head of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Folks, you're going you're to want to go there right now. Open up a new browser, a new tab. Go to NEC. That's NEC, which stands for Near East Center, dash SE, which stands for Strategic Engagement, dot com. That's NEC, dash SE, dot com. It's definitely worth a read if you go to the uh, about or by and or biography section. Uh, you can read about Lieutenant Colonel, uh, who will be on tonight, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari. Sangari, yeah, folks. No, he's no. got an extensive bio. He does. He's very qualified, and has been doing this for a long time, for decades now. He's a, well, he's a retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel from the U.S. military. I'm not going to read you his bio. You can go there and look at his bio. He's got nothing to prove. He's done it all in terms of military battle. But what we're facing here is, folks, is nothing short of Christian genocide. Do you understand? And I did not get the scope of this. I'm a big-picture guy. We're all big-picture people here, and we did not understand the scope of this. Do you understand that the Islamic State, ISIS, their bigger picture here. The bigger picture is to prove the Bible wrong, is to prove the prophets of the Bible wrong, is to exterminate the Christians in the Middle East, the Assyrian Christians. Folks, I, I beg of you, contact anyone you can to listen to this program. Contact everybody you can to listen to this program. Listen to this program, download it, spread it on Facebook, on all the social networking sites, because I can guarantee you right now, of all the places and people who are listening, is the United States State Department. Welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. This to Foggy Bottom. The U.S. Department of State. Welcome. And listen and learn. The respect and admiration I've got for the guests, multiple guests we have on tonight. I cannot, uh, I cannot under, understate. Again, retired Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari. 
He is changing. Well, he's, he's one man, one institute, the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, that is standing between the agenda of genocide of ISIS and the survival of the nation, the and Syrian I, nation, and, and the survival of, of Christians in the Middle East. And I want to give you credit that um, Syria is a topic, an issue, that is something that has been the uh, one of one of your main focuses for the last four or five years, even before the attempted coup of Assad. Well, you know, and, and yeah, the, right. the countless articles and and from uh, inside information that you've received from sources to your own geopolitical analysis, you've been harping on Syria, the Christian genocide in Syria, and the political uh, realignment. In Syria, and have pointed out this, that it will you know, lead to World War Three. Right, but but this goes well beyond anything I've ever imagined, folks. If you thought for a second that my writings at CanadaFreePress dot com or or at, at, at HagmanReport dot com, if you thought those writings were were good, I, I did not understand the full scope of what has taken place in Syria, in Iraq, in Iran, with the Kurds, with with, with the Assyrian Christians, with with all of this until. I met, virtually met, Lieutenant Sergeant Sangari. Uh, let me tell you something. He's on with us, along with two other individuals, uh, that I will let him introduce before we get to him. Just please. I'm, I'm kind of dragging this out a little bit, because I want as many people right now who are listening to stop what you're doing and pay very close attention. Again, this is perhaps one of the most important programs we've ever done, because when you understand what is taking place here, you will understand the defects of our diplomacy, of our policy. And maybe not defects, but deliberate tanking. I don't, I don't know. You've got, in my view, you've got a Muslim, or at the very least, a Muslim sympathizer in the White House. You've got a leadership structure, command and control. I was listening to, to many interviews that Lieutenant Sergeant Sangari had done. On various, in various venues today. And to, to, to hear the, the broken leadership, the ignorance, the, or deliberate machinations of the nefarious. I don't know. But, and, and Lieutenant Sergeant Sangari is going to tell us as long as, as, in addition to his guests that he has with him. But folks, please, again, carefully listen to what he's got to say. And don't just listen, but he, here's our chances, or our chance as Christians to stand in the gap with this man, these men, to help these victims of this Muslim genocide, of the genocide that's taking place. I cannot tell you, after hours upon hours upon hours of research and reading what I read and listening to what what I heard, I cannot tell you how important this is. If you do nothing else, if you don't listen to any other show ever again, this is the one. This is the one. Because at the epicenter of what's taking place is what's going on in the Middle East. Now, before we get into, before we bring our guests on, and, and I, I know they've been patiently waiting, again, we've got a retired, retired, retired Lieutenant Colonel, Sergeant Sangari. 
this man has combat missions, medals, accommodations, survivors, survivor of IEDs. He's been on the front lines for American forces. He's Iranian-born. I mean, he's got... He, his resume would, would fill a small novella. And I'm sure his personal experience would fill an even bigger one. His education is extensive. He has a, a bachelor in political science. Yes. Uh, from the University of Chicago, Illinois. Or I'm sorry, from DePaul University in the Chicago of right. Illinois. I mean, look, look, you know what? Let's, uh, I'll tell you what, Joe, rather than, rather than, yeah, let's bring, him on. let's bring him on and his, the other guests, which, uh, I'm going to let, uh, this, uh, fine man introduce. Are you ready, folks? Saddle for battle. By, by the way, this broadcast brought to you in part by Minuteman Stove, okay? What a great segue, because Minuteman Stove is, um, this stove has been used in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's battle-proven, battle-ready. More on that later. But without further ado, Lieutenant Colonel Sergeant Sangari. Sir, welcome to the Hagman Hagman Report. Thank you for having me, guys. How are oh, you? Man, fantastic. Um, you've got other guests as well that that uh, that uh, are joining you as well, or have joined you as well. Would you like to introduce them now, sir? Yes, I actually have the commander of the Syrian army with me. He's here in the States visiting currently. This is the uh, second time that he has been back here trying to uh, muster support for the Syrian army, which is fighting against ISIS um, downrange. Just for you all uh, information, what happened was that ISIS actually declared war against the Syrian army in November of last year before they attacked France at the same time that they declared war against France. So um, the Syrian army establishes forward line of troops going back to uh, August 11th of 2014 in what we call the Syrian Nimit Plain. For your guests who may not be aware of it, northern Iraq, where the city-state of Nineveh exists, where the city of Mosul is, where the second largest city in Iraq exists currently, and where they planning on conducting the operations for the clearing of Mosul, right in that plain area is actually where the Assyrian plain is, and that's where the forward line of troops had been established by a small Christian contingency force that initially went forward as the Sunni Muslim Kurds and also the uh, Shia were leaving the battlefield and met head-on ISIS main elements that were running off of a highway number two. So they've established that forward line of troops, and they've held it for two years now. I'll let the commander talk a little bit more about that anniversary. But since then, they're the only element that has been able to hold its ground without any support unilaterally uh, and uh, has been able to defeat ISIS multiple counterattacks. Two other young men that are going to speak to you, uh, both of them have served with the Syrian multi-forces. One is currently back in the States. Uh, Matthew and another young man named uh, Lewis is currently downrange uh, as we speak. So you're going to get a battlefield perspective. You're going to get an understanding of what type of operations they had done from the guys on the ground. And the commander will talk to you in detail as to why the force was established. Thank you. Okay. Uh, commander, welcome to the Hagman Hagman Report. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. 
Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. Um, now, Commander, uh, are, can you give us your name, or is, is that... Uh... Actually, my, my name is Emmanuel Oshaba. Okay. Uh, and I born in the uh, city of Kirkuk, graduated from Baghdad, and I joined the opposition of uh, Iraqi opposition against the uh, Saddam regime. Uh, since the uh, 80s uh, and until now I'm in, uh, 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 working in a politician uh, and uh, when uh, Daesh occupied uh, our, our land, our territory in Nineveh Plain uh, I called for establish uh, the Dwekhnosha army, a Syrian army Dwekhnosha uh, is Aramic language, it means the sacrificers. Uh, and we established that uh, we picked the arms to fight uh, against those terrorists who occupied uh, our land, who uh, let our people, our Assyrian Christian people, flee from, from their area. Uh, and to give a message to to uh, different countries uh, and to our neighbors that uh, the Christian Christian people they are not weak or if they have support they can fight for their land so this is was, uh, uh, what was our message to, to, to Kurdish, to Arab to, to uh, uh, US government or coalition force uh, to everyone but uh, uh, since that happened in the uh, 11th of August 2014, but what happened until now that we didn't see any support uh, unless from from uh, uh, our people or our uh, our uh, friends that who believe in in our case, uh, they 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 are individuals. They support us. One organization, as organization, uh, stand with uh, with us is uh, United Assyrian Appeal, UAA. Uh, uh, the, the support they give us that was uh, support to our our families that we can we can uh, uh, fight if we if we are uh, uh, if our families at least live in dignity and uh, 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 live where with with a minimum uh, conditions of the of the of the life and, and deservedly so you're making a great sacrifice for all of the christians in the area commander and uh, people have to understand that thank you for all that you're doing thank you thank you thank you um commander or uh, lieutenant uh, colonel uh, uh, Sangari, uh, they're under tough conditions, aren't they, right now? They're under tough conditions. They have been since they started. Um, but to be honest, initially when the fighting began uh, and Commander Emmanuel Khoshaba came to the States, he came and met with me, uh, with his team. Uh, looking at what they had disposition-wise, uh, I told them there's no way. Tactically, you're not going to be able to sustain on the battlefield. Operationally, you're just not going to have the support. 
that means strategically you null and void. Uh, as much as that might have been a, a really tough message to send to the Christians that were currently fighting and dying on the ground, the reality was that U.S. had already made decisions as to who they might be supporting in the longer uh, duration, which would be supporting the uh, still the Kurdish regional government with the Sunni Muslim Kurds or the uh, Baghdad government, which is Shia government tied to Iran with Iran influence. So in that capacity, uh, they said, just give us a chance, give us an opportunity. I will tell you that this force has done absolute miracles. And frankly, uh, they have done what we would call in uh, Army terms what is a Tier 1, Tier t 2 level operation. This is what your special operators do at a very high level. They conducted these operations in both Syria and in Iraq. The support did not come to them initially because when the commander came here um, in uh, February of this past year, uh, one thing we realized was that from a serviceman perspective who served downrange before, that U.S. was not going to support any other group in the region and was already exhausted with his monetary and basically personnel support for the current actors in the region who couldn't stand their ground in the fight. So one of the things we talked about with the commander when we looked at what we need to do is that we needed to conduct unilateral operation, show our capabilities, do it on our own, and then go to the State Department and Department of Defense. So all the operations that we did, only certain segments of the Department of Defense at CENCOM um, and other other groups were aware of. We did those by ourselves. So when we actually showed up in February of this year, it was no longer like everybody else going up to the State Department or the Department of Defense saying, give us money, give us support, and we can show you what we could do. We actually literally did it on a battlefield. And when we did it on a battlefield, we went up and we put the paperwork in front of the Department of Defense, Department of State, in this case the Bureau of Near East Affairs, both the Iraqi and Syria desk lead, mm -hmm. and said, look, this is what we've done. If you want to see an enduring partner, you need to stop just wasting money and effort and talent and sacrificing our young men and women for people who just don't care about you. And they will never care about you, regardless of how much money you sink into their pockets. They are just not prone culturally to accept your viewpoints of how the world should be. Um, I will tell you that the Department of Defense, in this case Office of Strategic Defense, when we briefed them, they were shocked. They were shocked what a small Assyrian Christian force was able to do spending money out of their own pockets to fight and kill ISIS operators within both Syria and Iraq. At the same time, the Department of State was shocked and surprised. However, with that said, they had already made decisions on how to cut up the piece of the pie for what they want to see a future quote-unquote federalized Iraq looks like. So for Christian Assyrians today, the main thing that we were told when we were up at the Department of State and Department of Defense was that 
you will have to go register on the Minister of Defense for you to receive any training or support from U.S. forces, regardless of the fact that the type of operations we did literally led to a lot of high-value targets being removed off the uh, off the uh, battlefield, both in Syria and Iraq. And the reason for that is because the decision makers and policymakers and congressmen who have already made up their decisions in the election year had stated that we're going to stick with our current uh, array of allies, which is either the Kurdish Muslim Sunni Kurds up in the north, and then we will have the Shia government in uh, Baghdad. Well, for us to have done that, if we had taken that lead, that means we would have registered on the Ministry of Defense, and then we would have to take money from Al Shabi. Al Shabi, if you want to really know the details, and I'll let the commander explain more of, about who they are. These are individuals and characters who literally killed American forces on the ground when I was on the ground fighting against Al Qaeda at that time and trying to unify Iraq. For, for a State Department to say to Christian Assyrians, your only two options are to go be under the Sunni Muslim Kurds who are looking at taking those territories that are Assyrian lands for themselves because they want it for their own region or country and to say for the Assyrian Christians that you have to go be under the Shia uh, that are the same Shia that were part of the Hashishabi specifically in Baghdad during a genocide where the root of Christianity is being eradicated was absolutely not an issue that we were interested in. And we were not going to do it because it wasn't going to serve us to keep the root of Christianity alive in the Middle East in order to replace us by others to give them access to oil in the lands that the Christians control and have held and as part of a historical homeland was absolutely a non-starter. So where we are right now with the Assyrian Army, Assyrian Army is a very capable force. It wants to be an enduring partner, but we are not going to subjugate ourselves under either the Sunni Muslim Kurds of Iraq or under the Shia of the uh, Middle East uh, in the uh, government Iraq structure, which is currently heavily influenced by Iran and is heavily influenced by the same characters over killing U.S. forces downrange. So what you're saying, what I, what I hear you saying, Commander, or Lieutenant Colonel, uh, is that we don't, uh, the United States has a, has a broken, somewhat schizophrenic policy, I suppose. Uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the, uh, Christians in Syria, Iraq, Iran, Af- Afghanistan, the Middle East in its entirety, the, the Near East, Middle East. Yeah, and I don't believe that they've made, uh, that these are mistakes made by the administration, you know, funding these, these different groups which went and, and in turn started killing American soldiers and other people that were fighting ISIS. No, I don't, um, I don't either. Folks, if, you, if you're just joining us, we are, we are talking with Three, three individuals who are the most capable to explain the plight of the Christians in the Middle East and the Near East. Our, our primary guest is Lieutenant Colonel Sargas Sangari. The website that we will direct you to is uh, in the show description. However, it's NEC for Near East Center dash SE for Strategic Engagement 
dot se dot com. All right, so that's where that's where you need to go. Um, and and what we're going or what we're discussing or what what uh, these gentlemen are talking about here. We we've got about a minute before the uh, bottom of the hour break here. I just want to kind of reaffirm this. We have uh, well about two minutes. I'm sorry, but we have uh, brave gentlemen here who are Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, would you would you classify yourself in the Assyrian Christian Army as? And, and this is a question. If you can just answer in in, in you know sixty seconds or so. Is what you're doing, is this a stopgap that basically no one else is done doing or even capable of via the Assyrian Christian Army? Nobody else is doing. Do others have capability? If they have, the problem is the leadership has been advised by the State Department to either subjugate yourself to the Shia of Iraq or subjugate yourself to the Sunni Kurds of Iraq, and they have taken those steps. This is the only force that is an independent force that has said, no, we're not going to do that. So we expect you to come to the table as equal partners, work with us, so we could not just be a partner to the United States. We can alleviate the burden off of America. Frankly, I will tell you right now, guys, downrange, every individual we've sunk money into has failed. This group hasn't even asked for money. We've said, give us the training and support so we could take the fight to them. In this case, when we're successful, you could turn around and say, you know, it wasn't the American soldiers training you that failed in their mission. It wasn't the Department of Defense or maybe even the Department of State that failed in his uh, efforts to try to get you moving in the right direction to become a possible uh, functional democracy. You're the goat in the road. It wasn't us. And we're ready, capable, able to do that. It's just a matter of whether or not the Department of Defense, under the guidance from Congress and the leadership of this country, are willing to take those steps. Lieutenant Colonel, thank you. Lieutenant Colonel, our special guest tonight is Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari. Of course, his website is the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. That's NEC-SE. Dot com. Bookmark that site, folks, and check out all the uh, the extensive resources that are on that site. You want to know what's going on in Syria? You want to know why things are taking place in Syria? You want to know why we are failing miserably, we as a Christian community, and even in the United States? Well, our foreign policy. That's our foreign who's policy, on right. side. But yeah. here's a guy. Here's a guy with a website, and here's a guy with an initiative, and and his and his associates who are making a difference. We're gonna be right back. Stay right there with us. Don't move. Tell a friend about this broadcast. Gentlemen, this is the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hagman and Hagman.com. HagmanReport.com. Two websites, two different agendas. Number one, the Hagman and Hagman.com. That's our show website. 
are two functions, not agendas. HagmanReport.com is for news information and, and analysis. This is certainly going to be hitting the news segment. Our very special guests tonight include Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari. If you if you detect any urgency in my voice, it's there because what we're talking about tonight, in my view, in our view collectively, is perhaps one of the most important topics that we could discuss as Christians, as Americans, as patriots, as lovers of freedom, and even more so as friends of these gentlemen who are risking their lives, who have risked their lives, and who are trying to to save the Christians from gen- genocide. Right, and friends so. and, and brothers from right. all over the Middle East and these uh, oppressed areas of the world where some of our foreign policy and other it's, dictators, uh, uh, you know, thirst for hunger have, have led to these atrocities being committed to the point where nobody is stepping in, stepping up, and protecting the minority, the right. Christians. And instead, we're seeing the opposite take place. We're seeing Christians executed. We're seeing them being forced to submit or convert or pay a tax. We've had millions flee the Middle East in fear of of death. And this is a humanitarian crisis of the highest degree. Well, it's one that's orchestrated by policy, and it's one that's orchestrated by... uh by policy. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, thank you so much for your gift of time, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari, as well as the commander who's downrange. And, uh, I just, I, I, I can't imagine what, uh, what, what sacrifices you all have made and are making for the Christians out there, for the, um, for the Jews, for, for the oppressed, as Joe said. I just want to say thank you. Now, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, and um, I'm going to kind of let you direct things, but I want to ask a basic question for those people out there listening. Maybe they're they're listening. We've got listeners in, in the UK right now. We've got listeners all over the United States, North America, and uh, other continents as well. But uh, can you give us a kind of a? And I don't want to go where I don't want to waste your time because your time is valuable. But but can you kind of give us a kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of really? What is taking place for those people who really don't understand the general overview of Syria and how it fits into Iran, Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia, all of this stuff, you know, the fight that's there and, uh, and how America fits into all of this and how really the bigger picture ISIS attempting to disprove or, or to, uh, yeah, to disprove Bible prophecy. Sir? Well, Syria in itself was just absolutely a uh, dysfunctional foreign policy to begin with. I, I think the decisions that were made with what happened with the Arab Spring, whether it was in Libya, which led to weapons being moved to Syria, or us backing the Muslim Brotherhood um, at the same time that everybody in Egypt was rejecting it, uh, and the military having to step in and remove that terrorist element out of their midst, um, and the links of the Bozo Brotherhood to Turkey and Erdogan himself, who was trying to establish an Islamic state, all these factors came into being where United States, under the current administration, saw itself losing control. And it saw itself losing control because the narrative that initially had about how you could work with certain segments of Islam and you can't work with others uh, started unraveling on itself 
it started basically uh, finding what it considered to be allies that might be moderate. I will tell you right now, from the experience of Assyrians that have fought downrange against Islamic radicals, and I'll let the commander explain a little bit more about that because you get to hear from him more than from me. The reality is this, that there's a transitional process that an Islamic radical goes through. He initially is raised in the culture. He tries to affect the uh, surrounding political beliefs through a political process. So he may join a political group. He will join religious groups to try to affect it. And at the end, it goes from an educational to a political to a religious or however else you want to fit it into that scheme, but the pattern is the same. At the end, we have not had one radical element leader who has not tried to initially enforce his vision on what Islam should be and how Islam should make itself viable uh, in the Middle East without going through those steps. So the problem falls where you have an administration that has been told by these intellectual thinkers that, well, if you work with the political Muslims, then you'll be able to achieve what you're trying to achieve given your vision in the region. Not understanding that at any given time, the person you're working with can flip easily from one side to the other as far as the narrative is concerned. You know, when I was with the U.S. military uh, and I was at the Special Warfare Center in school as we worked on doctrine, one of the key questions I always asked was, can somebody explain to me how come we have uh, unconventional forces basically in irregular warfare, but we don't have irregular troops in irregular warfare? It became an issue of doctrine. The reality is, as we play around with wording of whether somebody is like Al-Qaeda or call Al-Qaeda, uh, the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the guy puts a round in your chest where they fall in or where you try to place them. Given the fact that we have an administration that tries to rationalize what is happening within the region, the region itself is falling apart. Two things that have to be a must for foreign policy if you want to be able to operate and control the Middle East is are very simple. One, your enemies have to be treated with violence. They have to be wiped out. If he's your enemy, you kill him. And if he's your friend, you take care of your friends. If you take care of your friends and you stand by your friends, you'll be surprised how fast your enemies will be reduced in numbers. That's just the reality of how that region operates. We haven't understood that. What happened as the region started falling apart in 2014, the current administration said, you know what, I don't want to take all the blame as Libya is falling apart, as Syria is falling apart, as the other regions are falling apart, as Iraq's about to fall apart. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to limit my footprint, and then I'm going to invite all these other characters in to this structure, whether it be expanding Iran's footprint in the region, allowing Russia to come into Syria, 
allowing Turkey to have a say in northern Syria and northern Iraq. This way, I can say, well, you know, it's not really my fault. Everybody else has a piece in this blame game also. But when you do that, the problem you run into is that now you have to, if you want to make a decision, go to Iran and say, this is a decision I'm making. Go to Turkey, say, this is a decision I'm making. Go to Russia, say, this is a decision you're making. And in that process, these guys already have a idea of what their foreign policy is. And they already know what their end goal is, and you don't. Your Congress changes every two years. Your administration changes every four years. So when you don't have a long-range projection, and the only projection you had for the region under the current administration was how fast can I cut and run out of the region, now you guys, you're stuck. You cannot get back in there and be able to say that I have credibility and you have to listen to me. When America first went into the Middle East, when we first went into Iraq, you had credibility. Right now, you're at a stage where even your citizens are afraid of showing their passports or are embarrassed about showing their passports, possibly, not just in the region, other places. That is a direct failure of leadership. What's happening in Syria is literally tied to what I just explained in the process. The other pieces are as far as various different groups fighting to be the lead of Islam. In this case, Saudi trying to be the lead of all the Sunni states, Turkey trying to establish its caliphate under Erdogan, Iran trying to represent all the Shia within the region, and Egypt trying to represent what we call possibly secular uh, Arab states within the region. Well, when there's no one lead, like we have as an example in the Catholic religion, there's a pope, then there's nobody to speak on behalf of Islam. So you've taken already a complex um, political, geographic issue. You brought in all these outside players, to include Russia, uh, strategic players like China. You've absolutely... Uh, abandon your allies like you have turned your back on Israel and you're wondering why Israel is not shifting uh, its uh, its focus towards Russia because it has no choice because Russia is sitting on its border uh, and uh, you're wondering why your policy is not working in the region and at the same time you're telling the Christian Assyrians you have to go and submit yourself to all these players that are killing each other in the region so for a Christian Assyrian you have two choices, either be under the Sunni Muslim Kurds or be under the Shia of Iran. Well, the Kurds and the Shia of Iran hate each other. Eventually, they're going to fight each other. Guess who's going to be killed in those front lines? It's going to be the Christians that are on the Kurdish side, and it's going to be the Christians that are under the Shia side. And that is not what you should do as an American Christian nation, especially when the root of Christianity is being eradicated in the region. Because at the end of the day, whether America likes it or not, if the Christian Assyrians are eradicated after 6,000 years of history, U.S. will be blamed for it. Period. Very eloquently stated. Um, wow. Okay. So, so it's complex, and it's, um, well, it's complex. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, I'm, I'm going to actually turn this over to you. And allow you again. This is a worldwide broadcast. We got people listening uh, all over the all over the world at the moment, and uh, uh, really wanting to understand the current situation as you're explaining it. So I'm going to let you uh, 
uh, bring on those people, the commander downrange, or or the other gentleman, uh, however you want to do this. I'm going to turn it over to you, and I'm going to stop you at the top of the hour, because I do think what you've got to say is not, uh, it doesn't require us to, to butt in here, you know, with the, except to, uh, except to manage a few things, but, but, uh, please take your liberties, bring on your commander, and tell the people what's really going on, you know, with, with uh, with the situation. It just, folks, it just blows my mind. I mean, it really, Go ahead, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Um, I'm turn no, it's it's a difficult subject, but we've been dealing with it for thousands of years. I'm going to put the commander on. He's going to explain a little bit more on the uh, tactical side, what is happening in Syria currently, so you guys are at least up to speed on it. And then I'll let him discuss the other items with the forces. So here's the is, is, is the commander safe, by the way? I mean, he's okay, right? He's, not, he's okay. You know, he's okay. Right. He's okay all currently, right. yes. Okay. Go ahead, Commander. That's serious. Yeah, uh, actually, the, 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 the problem is what's going on with the, with the uh, policy that the decision maker, uh, they are uh, watching to the, uh, to the big groups, political groups, and they don't watch to the, to the minorities. For the same reasons, the same reasons, in, in forties uh, and fifties, we lose uh, the Jewish people, they've been, uh, uh, apart from the, uh, Iraqi community, and Syria community, and Lebanon community, uh, totally the, the part of the, uh, uh, Middle East community for the same reasons of radical, uh, uh Arabization and radical of the, uh, religion. What, and for now, all the, the, uh, uh the, let me say in this way, uh, the U.S. government, they are support all the Muslims around the world, but they don't. Uh, they forget to support the minorities. They they uh, who suffered, and the Yazid like Yazidis too, who suffered from the from the uh, major and uh, big the big politics uh, group politics in Iraq, like like Shia, like Sunni, like uh, 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 even like uh, uh, Kurds. So this is the situation. Here it's our last fight, our last battle to stay in our country. We don't want to be uh, refugees. We don't want to immigrate to any other country. We want to stay in our historical land. Uh, our father, our grandfather, they built that, that countries. We have been uh, uh, for thousand, thousand years there. But uh, unfortunately, with with uh, uh, these steps of the of the politician and politics, uh, uh, make us uh, uh, minorities, and now we are fighting for for the last uh, 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 last breath of the Christianity in 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 the Middle East. Yeah, and 
so what you're saying is that the just like here in America, we see these uh, huge organizations and the money they pour in to lobby to Congress uh, to change laws and and to uh, look after these people. Uh, meanwhile, the the minorities uh, of these issues are hurt. For instance, the transgender bathroom issues we have here in America, we have uh, a very small percentage of the people, two to three percent lobbying to get the uh, bathrooms, labels on the bathrooms changed so, you know, men can use women's bathrooms and vice versa. And they're getting away with it even though they're making victims out of everyday uh, citizens. So what you're saying is over there you're seeing the same thing. You're seeing uh, big government and you're seeing these lobby groups uh, lobby and it's at the sake of these minority Christian and other groups. But the but 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 the but the uh, outcome is not who gets to use what bathroom. The outcome right, is right. real refugees, homeless, bombing. You know, real victims. It's real not about flesh, the people. Real blood, real children. It's about yeah. the money, apparently. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah uh, 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 in reality, that uh, uh, what we are facing is really a genocide about about the minorities in Iraq and and uh, Syria and all the Middle East. What we are facing that we've been targeting, organized targeting since 2003 until now. But the 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 uh, uh, U.S. government they don't support uh, uh, the minorities or especially the Christian for one reason they don't want to be to make the Muslims countries angry that they will say to them you support the Christians uh, in the Middle East and you don't support the Muslims this is not the the the, the uh, uh, solve or the fix of the of the problem you must with the with the principles that have in uh, uh, american people they must save the minorities when they make the change in 2003 they have moral commitment to to uh, help the minorities now what we what we are uh, facing we we are we establish our 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 small group our army to fight without support uh, of the government and we we uh, uh, we can uh, be a number in that situation if we have the support if we have uh, 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 the money to to uh, to make uh, our numbers grow up and to fight for our our land so here uh, uh, the the US policy United States policy uh, uh, and State Department they put us like uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sangeri say put us in the middle of the clash between between the two groups you know about the situation that Shia are uh, or, or uh, uh, let me say in this way Arab are against the the uh, Kurds and Kurds they have the problems with Arabs now when uh, when we hear from the State Department you must go and be uh, part from Kurds or from Arabs that means you must be a part from the problem 
you will not be a part to the to the uh, to solve or to solution the the, the problem. We call for the safe haven. Uh, they rejected that safe haven. We call for uh, uh, establish an area uh, in, in, with international protection. They rejected that. They they refused to to be that uh, uh, area with international protection. Uh, protection. So in everything, they everything they push us in in a, a small corner, and we don't know what what will be the end. And really, if this happen, that will be the end of the of the Christianity. In Iraq, like like that happened in in uh, in fifties, uh, for in end of forties and fifties in Iraq for the Jew, Jewish people. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay. So what? Okay, just so I'm I'm clear on this, and I, and I think everyone needs to be very clear what. Uh, as the and lieutenant colonel and commander, uh, either one, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, what we're seeing here, or what you've done, is you've established the Assyrian Christian Army. You have really done it off the sweat of your own brow. You've assembled your uh, your hardware. You've you've made the sacrifice, and, and you're really the only, and I, and I don't only beacon of, of light and hope, in the whole region, yeah, I mean, you're the, you're a formidable force right now, and the only one that's really addressing or protecting addressing the problem and protecting the the Christians and the interests of the Christians all across that area. Is that a correct statement, sir? That's a correct statement. People may not like it, but that's a correct statement. Look, uh, you, today when you came into your office, that entire office that you're in your studio. You had to use a small key to get into it. The Assyrian army, the Assyrian Christians are the key to peace. If you want to have peace in the region, period. No one else can bring peace to that region. They may not like it, but they can't. We've given them enough chances. The problem is you have to get Congress to understand that. I'll give you as an example, as the commander was saying, uh, and let me know if we're short on time, uh, but uh, the Congressional Resolution 75, which was passed unanimously by con- Congress, recognizing the genocide of the Middle East. First of all, it was a non-binding resolution. Literally, for Assyrians on the ground, it equates to toilet paper. It may be a uh, mental satisfaction for the people in Congress and the staffers who work very hard to put it together, but it means nothing to us. So much lobby money went into trying to put that particular piece together. You know, prior to that, we were asked from the Near East to give our recommendations to that uh, congressional resolution. Well, here's some of the things we looked at. The fact that since 2014... ISIS targeted Assyrian history and to erase the Assyrian history, not just the Christian history, but the Assyrian history off of the Middle East. That included 3,000-year-old wing of bull statues that were destroyed for the Assyrian city of Nimrud. These are all in your Bible, uh, built in the 13th century by the kings, uh, you know, of Assyria. And, uh, you know, going back to the 11th century, 
the 2,000 year old historical sites of uh, Hatra, which was destroyed, the capital city walls of Nineveh, to include the gates of Nineveh, which were destroyed, the Assyrian city of Khorshabad, the destruction of the uh, museum of Mosul that contained priceless Assyrian artifacts. A week before the destruction of that uh, area, 35 Assyrian villages of Khabar River were basically cleansed out, driving 3,000 Assyrians away from there. Uh, not to include the fact that six months prior to that, 200,000 Assyrians were basically pushed out of their homes out of Assyrian in a plane. When they were supposed to be protected by the Kurdish in the region, who were the only ones we were providing weapons to, and the Shia. The Shia loaded up on two C-130s in the middle of the night, flew back to Baghdad on the request of the Iranians to consolidate their power, and the Kurds basically pulled out prior to that, disarming the Christians from their own villages and leaving in the middle of the dark. So the Assyrians who left commissionally, they didn't just leave from a shack and go into the streets. They left $500,000 homes and went and became refugees. All these things happening, and what do the Assyrians get? Assyrians are told you have to work with either the Kurdish uh, powers or the Kurdish regional government in Syria or in Iraq. Well, the YPG were the same ones who announced a declaration to establish their own state in the same area that these Assyrian villages were existing. So the Assyrians only had 38 villages and the Assyrians get kicked out, pushed out from there and the U.S. supports of IBG claims that in the future, if they want to take those villages for themselves, they're welcome to it, as long as it's a democratic process, that we say, by which that the uh, people of Syria uh, maybe decide that that area belongs to them. Mr. Sangari, yes, uh, hold that thought, please. We are up against the top of the hour break. Fascinating stuff. Got a number of questions, not only from myself, but from the audience. When we come back, folks, you're listening to Lieutenant Colonel... Sarge's Sangari. We'll be right back after this. Stay with us. in the Senate of the United States passed March 15th, 2016. Got a lot of whereases. Whereas Christians and other religious and ethnic minorities have been an integral part of the cultural fabric of the Middle East for millennia. Where ISIS is just killing people without regard. No, that's some paraphrasing, of course. Killing everyone in their path. Whereas ISIS is specifically targeting the religious and ethnic minorities, intending to kill them or force them into submission, conversion, or expulsion, and a whole lot more whereases. But it's a non-binding resolution without, well, it's a hollow attempt, folks. This is what we've gotten. This is what America has given to the Assyrian Christians and others in the area. We have as our special guest tonight, Lieutenant Colonel Sargas Sangari, a man who's just an, an incredible 
leader put together his website, of course, the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. It's not, it's not just a website. It's a movement. He is, I don't want to say single-handedly, but with God's help, with our help, with everyone's help, is going to be a formidable, as already is, but it will be a more formidable force in the Middle East, standing up for those being slaughtered, those victims of genocide. And, and I say that because I just want to drive home how important this broadcast is, how important these men are. And these men don't just stand in the gap for those women and children in the Middle East. They stand in the gap for the contents of the Holy Bible, for God's Word, for the people, and for the cultural and for the spiritual roots out of Syria. It's 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 just amazing. Now, again, we are so honored to have Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari, two commanders as well, on with him. Go ahead, Eric. Play this. I'm an American. I'm a Christian, just like you. Now let's do whatever we can to make a difference. The soldier in the wall is asking you to listen. I'm an American. I'm a Christian. There it is. An American, a Christian. There, there it is. An American and a Christian. And us, uh, folks, and he's asking us to listen. Lieutenant Colonel Sangari, go ahead and uh, welcome back and, and uh, just jump right in here and, and, and let's continue our conversation. Well, I, I just want to finish this up because, look, and it's important because, look, Congress is the only entity that can make something legal or illegal. And without them wanting to make a stand, regardless of the Republican, Democrats, or Independents, with the Assyrians and the Christians, then we're not going to be able to save the Christians on range. The only thing the Assyrians can do right now, and we have told everybody multiple times, we got to do it on our own. We cannot rely on the United States at any level from any party to step in and support. Look, the House resolution, we had proposed adding the name Assyrian and the first chapter of it. They took the name Assyrian out. They left the Yazidi, Turkmen, Shabak, Kurds, other other groups. We recommended that in the process of the concurrent resolution to add the name Assyrians. They took Assyrians out. They left the Yazidi, Turkmen, Shabak, Kurds, and other groups. We said in the third paragraph, put the name Assyrian in. They took the name Assyrian out. They put Yazidi, Turkmen, Shabak, and Kurds, and other groups. We said at this paragraph, and the paragraph that we recommended read, wherein the Assyrians and Yazidis have been documented as having undergone violent persecution at a 50-year interval for the past 2,000 years, and the Assyrians and the Yazidis have over the past century suffered mass killings, persecution, and forced deportation from their historical lands in 1915, 1918, 1922, 1932, 45, 2010, and as of recent as 2014 in the Harbor River Valley and the Assyrian Plain and Mount Sinjar 
the Assyrians and Yazidis continued to experience a silent cultural genocide to eradicate the Assyrian nation and the Yazidi people. They took that entire paragraph out. And in the first draft, they even took the 1933 massacre out, where it was the first time a army, literally in Iraq, killed the Assyrians, not because they were just Christians, but they were also because they were Assyrians, killed his own people. Now, this is the Congress, folks, that is saying that we are standing by the Christians. I gotta tell you, if you were standing by the Christians, and one of my assignments was I was a director of Host Nation Affairs in Kuwait. It takes 10 hours to send one brigade set of equipment up to the north. It takes two ODA teams to be sitting with the Assyrians, Assyrian army right now in uh, the Assyrian Nimit Plain and the village of Bakufa to protect them. They don't even want to give you two ODA teams. They don't want to give you any equipment. They don't want to give you any support. So what do they do? They remove your name. They dump it in there somewhere. You'll see it in the new House resolution, which is non-binding. But other Christians, well, Assyrians were Assyrians before they were Christians. And they take everyone else who, in all those massacres, have actually participated in massacring the Assyrians and they declare that there's a genocide taking place against those ethnicities. So even when we try to even represent on behalf of the other minorities, in the case of the Yazidis, to be recognized, they even remove the Yazidis. Look, Assyrians are dying. The root of Christianity is dying, and is dying under America's watch. Why the commander came here this time and we were asked, how come you're not back up in D.C. talking to the State Department, was because we had our discussion with State Department, we had our discussion with DOD, we've had a discussion with Congress. State Department has said you got to go be under the Shia of, of uh, Iraq for you to receive any support when it comes to funding because our SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, is much more important than your ethnicity or you have to go be under the Sunni Muslim Kurds because their lobby groups have funneled a lot of U.S. dollars, taxpayer dollars that have been given to them to make multimillionaires back into the coffers of Congress who forces congressmen to say, I will choose to recognize genocide for them. I will not choose to recognize a genocide based on where the Assyrians should be recognized amongst others as equals. And then the DOD can only execute what the state and Congress want him to execute. So that's the bottom reality. The reason the commander came here this time was to appeal for financial support, and that's the only way we could do it. And our support has come through the United Assyrian Appeal, uh, and it has come from Americans at the local levels who have helped, whether it was $5 to $2,000. We've given money to the multi-families so that the soldiers can go fight. I think with that said, I want to make sure I give an opportunity for Lewis and Matthew to speak uh, and then give an opportunity for the commander to talk also. Your call, sir. Go ahead. We'll go ahead and we'll talk to Lewis. Uh, he's down range. He'll be able to explain to you exactly what's going on, and then we'll go to Matthew. Thank you, sir.
The commander downrange, go ahead. You're up. Uh, Roger that. Uh, you may not be able to hear me very well. I'm actually in Iraq. Uh, so I'm not sure if there's uh, any problem with the signal. You guys aren't coming through. We can soon. hear you. Okay. Uh, I don't have a lot of time because we're on alert here. I'm actually, I'm actually on the berm in the overwatch position that I usually uh, uh, take with my uh, friends down in the uh, trench here. But uh, I've been following the conversation uh, best I can. Uh, first thing I'd like to say is, you know, out here, uh, I can give a brief of uh, what we face as volunteers as well as uh, Lake Nosh as a whole. Uh, I myself am not an agent of policy. Uh, I stopped being an agent of policy when I got out of the service. Uh, I'm here uh, specifically to help the Christians and all of uh, the people in this specific region against uh, Daesh, the Islamic State. And that's my motivation for being here. Uh, I support Dwight Nosha all I can because uh, I am a Christian. Uh, but for the most part, again, I'm here uh, uh, on behalf of the West, you know, the counter the Islamic State. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, yes, all the way from Iraq fighting a battle that is so important, uh, one of the most important battles uh, in this day and age as the Christians are under attack in many nations, but specifically with the Arab Spring and the power vacuum there, and the Western uh, policies versus uh, oh, oh, what we oh, see on the ground. Joe, Joe, I mean, uh, platitudes aside, um, uh, Commander, how can we, our listening audience, we as an entity, a broadcasting entity, help you right now? I mean, uh, we obviously we can't grab grab an AK-47 or AR-15 and get, get out there, but what can we do for you right now? You who are standing on alert facing the enemy in Iraq God bless you talking to us what can we do for you right now uh, well I mean for the most part understanding this conflict uh, understanding you know obviously the Christian aspect uh, uh, about uh, the, the threat that the Islamic State poses to the rest of the world uh, you know surrounding the surrounding nations as well as the United States and uh, just realize how important groups like uh, you know Dwight Nosha as well as all the fighters who are out here, you know, understanding uh, the importance of them holding them back here at this point. And I understand the uh, the focus is on the Christians, so for Dwight Nosha, you know, obviously, they need a lot of funding and support. You know, out here, as a Western volunteer, we buy our own uh, weapons, we buy our own equipment. Dwight Nosha provides a little bit, but they can't do very much. Um, and that's because they have their own fighters that they need to supply. Uh, we don't have a lot of equipment. Um uh, we have to work with the partnered forces out here, which uh, uh, are the, uh, the KDP, um, you know, on the front line here because that's the only option that we have. And, uh, you know, they can defend the, the, their villages and everything, but other than that, they can't, uh, you know, you know, obviously the, right now the policy is that the uh, front line is on a standstill, but honestly, if we were to go and we were to face and go into a, a, the towns that are, owned by these these uh, Assyrians it'd be very difficult for us so they definitely need the funding and the support and not only that but the uh, the relief effort that they do for Assyrian families as well okay so, so we have number one you, obviously you need funds because I mean the fighters need funds under you um, and number two the families of the fighters need to be sustained as well um, where can and I'm going to come right out and ask everybody. Look, uh, 
I vetted these. I, vet, I vetted these gentlemen. These are heroes. They are our only line of defense right now. Standing in the gap. That's right. So how do we get? How do we get help to you, sir, and, and your and your your groups? All right. Well, I mean, if you want to support the volunteers, which is always up near, um, you know, we all have our individual uh, support network. Uh, but we keep that to ourselves. You know, that's that's the, our effort to survive out here. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, this program goes, it should be geared more towards Lake Nosha. And, uh, I believe Emmanuel Kashaba, he's gonna be the one that has the, uh, uh, the information on how to support. Uh, but that's okay. what I would encourage, you know, out here specifically, you know, we all have, you know, basic weapons and everything like that, but other than that, uh, how long do you plan to be in there, sir? I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to stick it out. This is yes. this is my second time here. I, I originally I was one of the original members of the group. Actually, the second member of the group uh, who was a Western volunteer uh, to come out back in uh, end of 2014. I came out in January 2015. Um, I went back home in August. Uh, tried to settle back in at home, and uh, after an incident occurred here on the front, I decided to come back. So this time I'd like to stick it out till Mosul is complete. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the actual our roles in that operation, you know, just for OPSEC. But, uh, Understood. Once our role is, once our role is complete in that, then I I can go home. Gotcha, gotcha. Understood. Okay, Lieutenant Colonel, I'm going to toss it back to you, sir. Lieutenant Colonel, go ahead, sir. Yeah, I I think. Um, there's a couple of ways that we get the support. For us, the support goes to the multi-families, and that support goes directly to the United Assyrian Appeal. So if you go to unitedassyrianappeal.org, you'll see our information. You could also go to unitedassyrianappeal.org directly through the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement site. The only thing that I have in the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement is a donate button, and it says, you know, we encourage you to support. Um, so the United Appeal.org is a site that uh, allows us to get funding. That money goes down to the multifamilies. As an example, how does that money work? Just so you understand. In March of last year, when we realized we we're not going to get any help or any support, we created the United Assyrian Appeal. And uh, on one occasion... Uh, we had uh, a young man who was actually working in a province in Iraq, Sulaimaniyah, all the way on the border of Iran and Iraq. When we were able to get money to his family, in this case at that time it was costing us $650 for a uh, core uh, family. That meant a husband, a wife, and one child to sustain him. And that money fluctuates depending on what's happening in the region how the dinar is dropping, what the U.S. dollar looks like, uh, and uh, what is happening politically and what is happening on the battlefield. So when we were able to give the money to the multifamily, the man who was working physically uh, on an excavator uh, down there in Sulaimaniyah was able to go and join the forces on front line. Uh, he was also at the same time able to allow his uh, uncle and a, n- a nephew of that uncle to split the work requirements for a month operating uh, the same uh, equipment that he was operating. So literally, 
in this process what we did was we fed one family but we employed three individuals one individual fighting with the forces uh, down on the forward line of troops uh, and uh, asserting them a plane and other two individuals in this case who were unemployed because they didn't have work were able to do his job so at least that way we were able to give him two weeks of pay for each so it's a, it's a process by which when money is transferred, it's still what we call, there's two colors of money, Title 10 and Title 22. I won't get into the detail. It becomes a Title 10 money, and it's still for humanitarian effort. So in that March, when that young man joined the force, he was a machine gunner. Two days prior to him arriving to the battlefield, the ISIS forces had sent a man-pack drone over the Assyrian headquarters scout positions. Uh, and this is not a regular civilian drone you could buy off the market. This is an actual type of a drone that U.S. Special Forces and operation teams use. This is the capabilities that ISIS has. The night he arrived there, early in the morning, uh, they, ISIS hit the, uh, hit the elements, the Syrian army elements in Bakufa with uh, 123 mm mortars. They shelled them with 15 various different rounds. They conducted a 15-plus man attack against them. They had five suicide bombers in that attack that took place. Two were killed by the Syrian forces. Two other individuals detonated early, and one was wounded and was dragged off the battlefield by other ISIS operators. And the ISIS operators that came against the Assyrian force, in this case the Christian Assyrians, literally had these uh, special forces man-packed ladders, the ones that you use to extend and climb to second-story buildings. When those individuals were killed on the battlefield, ISIS operators, they had brand new U.S.-style type of molly, and the same type of a molly that I was using when we were fighting against al-Qaeda in Iraq, and they had brand new Russian AK-47s. Now, in the past, the Syrian army would at least be able to secure those items off the battlefield from the individuals they killed. But because the Kurds are in such a shamble themselves under so much pressure that they came in on the battlefield and actually took those weapons and took the body armor, too. So we couldn't even recover the uh, bullets and weapons from the dead to use against the next attack. Now... That machine gunner, if he wasn't there that day and I hadn't supported that military family, that headquarters element could have possibly been uh, flanked and wiped out. And we'd have been talking more casualties. Look, United Assyrian Appeal, I want your listeners to understand, is an absolute policy failure. As an American lieutenant colonel who's fought downrange, who's been in combat areas of operation for six years in a row, who was on his first tour blown up seven times, who has had friends lost their lives in Iraq. It's a shame that we had to create the United Assyrian Appeal. It's an absolute embarrassment. And every congressman needs to be embarrassed that we have to create United Assyrian Appeal in order to get money in the hands of a Christian Assyrian's that have been an ethnicity that is a mainstay, main ally, Western-looking, majority of the population living in the West, who are fighting and dying on the battlefield, given a genocide because Congress cannot get his act together 
and be able to pass a binding resolution that recognizes also the Assyrians for the genocide that is taking place against them. Not just giving a token mention of them in the body of the letter that it becomes non-binding. And the most current resolution that is out there that is looking at funding Christians is, if you look at the calendar version of it, it doesn't mention Assyrian, it doesn't mention Christian, it doesn't mention any type of a force. There's a P, uh, PDF that they're all walking around with, touting it as that this is the first time we're mentioning Christians, Assyrians, protection forces for the Christians uh, in this PDF. But if you go to the calendar version, which is the only one that matters, they have done the same thing that they did to 75, House Resolution 5. They have gutted it. The Assyrians are going to get eradicated because of the inaction of Congress, and they're going to get eradicated because we are more apt under the current administration to cut and run out of that area. All we understand is that the area is one big gigantic uh, playground that now Russia is playing in, Turkey is playing in, Kurds are playing in, and the Shia and Sunni are playing in. So we need the dollars, folks, unfortunately, because if you don't have the dollars, we cannot function downrange and we cannot keep this low safe haven that has been established open. If the dollars are not there, the Assyrian army eventually will not be able to move forward with the type of mission it has done before. So please go to unitedassyrianappeal.org and donate whatever you can. It's your hard-earned taxpayer money. You worked hard for it. First spend it on your family before you spend it on us. Take care of your bills before you take care of us. But if you get the chance, please help. Uh, with that, I'm going to have the commander talk to you a little bit. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yes, I'm here. Okay, commander, go go ahead. Um, we got about two minutes before the break. Yeah. Uh, uh, what I want to say, uh, really, that uh, uh, in the Bible, Matthew... 1241 Jesus Christ say the man of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with the generation and condemn condemned it for the repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. What I want to say from this, we must make the Bible and the Jesus Christ every word, every single word in the in the Bible from Old Testament and New Testament become truth in that area. Amen. For that Amen. For that we, we are asking we are asking for for help and we are asking to stay at that at that uh, uh, area in our historical land without helping without any help from the people if we don't see the help from the government at least the people can can let us 
be there. They can help us to stay there with our families. Another time, I don't, we don't want to be uh, 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 refugees. We don't want to be uh, 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 immigrate to any other country. We want to live in dignity with our, our religion, with our Christ in, in that area. We pick up the Christ and we uh, bring too many countries. We pick the Christianity till China, till India. This is what the history of Assyrian talking about. Our, our uh, uh, church uh, uh, do this, our religion. Give us the, the hope and give us the, the strength to, to go forward uh, for that. Okay, absolutely. That that was that was greatly timed. I love that. And folks, we are going to stand with these gentlemen at the at the conclusion of the program. We will be donating uh, for the families for the the initiative here. UnitedAssyrianAppeal.org. It's in the uh, chat feature. It's also going to be featured on our website. And for those of you who can't afford to donate money, prayers are definitely prayers. needed. As uh, the lieutenant colonel quoted Matthew twelve forty one, uh, it talks about the men who repented due to jo- what Jonah did, and how that can happen today if we repent. Folks, we'll be right back. Hagman and Hagman Report. You're listening to a very special broadcast today. We've got very special guests, Lieutenant Colonel, retired from the U.S. military, um, Sergeant Sargon, uh, Sargar, yeah, Sangari. I can talk. Uh, again, we have with us retired Lieutenant Colonel from the U.S. Army, Sergeant Sangari. Two commanders, one downrange, actually on alert in Iraq. If you can believe was, that. Yes, he was on, he was, he gave us an update from the front lines. Here he is, an AR or some similar weapon in one hand and a cell phone in the other. You don't think this is an important broadcast, folks? It, it most certainly is. As we get back to these gentlemen, just a quick, uh, matter of breaking news pertaining to Syria, breaking U.S. occupation of Syria, now official, uh, this dated yesterday, goes on to say this is a historic and dangerous development which only increases the chances of total war, and it talks about the U.S. occupation of boots on the ground over the last 24 hours as the U.S. has made it clear that they are going to have an occupational force in Syria. Lieutenant Colonel, how, how does this um, how, how does this affect, or does it, um, your efforts, your stratagem? You're gonna get our American boys killed. You're gonna get those guys killed. Look, we were asked, we asked for support from the U.S. government before 26 February 20. 
15, when the Harbor River Valley was cleansed out. If you were going to fight as a Christian in Syria, and if any of the targets were going to be supported in Syria, those targets should have been supported prior to the Harbor River Valley being cleansed out. Russia had one wanton desire since Tsar Alexander. And that was to be able to have a footprint in a warm water port. What they were able to achieve under Putin now has been the ability of establishing not just one, but possibly two warm water ports in Syria and have extended their uh, air bases, have the Duma recently approved moving larger weaponries into the region. Now, as we were conducting Tier 1 and Tier 2 level missions, even in Syria, when the U.S. initially, under President Obama, mentioned that we are going to send 50 SF troops into Syria, the Assyrian army was the only Christian militia that said, we are not going to participate in those in that fighting. And it wasn't because we didn't want to support the U.S. Our main point to the American policymakers was, you're coming in late. Those areas that you want to go fight in are actually areas that ISIS, given its political structure of what it was dealing with at that time, were areas that were going to be non-consequential to them. So what they were going to use those areas for to trap the U.S. forces into a larger fight. Now, other Christian militias, because they were desperate, said we're going to go fight. They went into that fight, but for us, for the Syrian army, our recommendation was from the tactical commanders, all you're going to do, U.S., is if you want to come help us now, which is too late, to take back the areas that is going to cost more money and more bloodshed to take for the Christian Assyrians, is that ISIS is going to pull back out of those areas, is going to use us like a worm on a hook, and then is going to use us to leverage to draw in the U.S. Special Forces to a larger fight so they could kill as many SF forces as possible and to draw United States into a larger fight in Syria. United States has lost its footprint in the region. Syria has been an absolute chaos. Initially, YPG was working with Assad regime, which who were we were funding money to. Recently, they've decided to fight against each other. Russia has stepped in now to be the power broker between these two, to bring him to a peace talks tables, which are going to start in the next few days. Russia is not doing that because it loves the YPG, although it uses them when it wants to. It is starting this process in order to be able to defend the Assad regime. As the Russians have gone ahead and struck a deal with Turkey, Turkey understanding that U.S. has abandoned it in the region and is not going to support it in the long run, given the fact that we have empowered the Shia and the Iranian footprint within the region, you have literally lost your allies. So the only thing you had remaining were these Kurdish YPG, and as of today, Turkey started bombing Kurdish positions 
in the areas where these crews had liberated, believing that they were going to have a safe haven for themselves in the future. Well, guess what? You haven't just lost Turkey. You have lost Syria. You have lost the Christian footprint in Syria. You have now lost the YPG who are going to get absolutely hammered by Russia, Turkey, and others in the region. You have lost your ally, Israel, because Israel has to worry about this border protection in Syria. Given the fact that you've allowed Russia to take that footprint, you're not going to gain it back. Look, you have to have enduring partners. If the Assyrian army and the Assyrians were not enduring partners to the United States, they would have said, yeah, come on along. Let's go. We'll go fight. Knowing full fact that you were going to get sucked into a larger fight. The fact that he said, it's too late now. You should have been with us when he told you to be with us goes a long way for a force that is basically feeding itself barely out of pocket and is telling you stay out of Syria now work on your other relations and I'm going to tell you if Syria goes bad Barzani from the KRG has recently been asked to go to Iran to have meetings there he was recently also in Turkey what does that mean? you just lost the Kurds so who does the United States have? The Kurds are going to go with the Russians, and they're going to go because they're going to get pummeled into the ground by Russia, by Turkey, by Iran. And they're going to have to flip to the Russians. They have no choice anymore. In the past, they've been friends with them. It's an easy transition for them. You don't have Turkey. Iran doesn't care about you. The militias are running and taking over the entire area. Islamists, regardless of who they are, have a large footprint. There's a recent law right now, just so you understand why it's important for Syrian Christians not wanting to be under the Iraqi governmental structure without being a part of a federalized Iraq. The law says that if you are, if your mother or father converts to Islam and you're under 18, you automatically have to convert. So here's the United States now pushing the Christians to go underneath those structures. The only ones you have in the region are the Assyrians. The only one you have in the region are the Assyrian army. The only one you have in the region is a person and a group that says, we want to be your, you know, enduring allies. And what are you doing to them? You're pummeling them yourself while you're still trying to hitch your wagon to forces that have failed you in the region. If they were capable, why are you sending your special forces to go fight and die for them again in Syria? If they were capable, why are we losing our special forces going in and trying to save hostages in uh, northern Iraq? Why are we losing our Navy SEALs that like they're getting shot at close range and tell us off if they're capable? They're not capable. So if they're not capable, stop. Take a deep breath, take a step back and understand U.S. needs to find capable partners on the ground. Syria is going to be a dead trap for the United States. And if they decide to put forces on the ground, all, they, all Russia is going to do is pound them. Pound them, and I don't know what our response is going to be. Enough of losing our boys. Yeah, absolutely. So, so are we... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, because of your U.S. military experience and your, your high rank, are Sorry, we fighting right now a proxy war against Russia? I mean, is that what this is coming down to? Um, 
and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I mean, from what you just said, it, it certainly would appear that way to me. Yeah, I mean, Russia is your biggest enemy. They're your first enemy. So now you're fighting a proxy war, but you're doing a lousy job of it. Um, it's I hate to say it. You should have never been in this position. Uh, we've lost too many young men downrange. We've, lost, we've shed too much blood for us to have been in this position. Um, proxy war is not fought well by us. Russia knows how to fight proxy wars. Russia recently bombed three hospitals. Um, you think they cared about who was in those hospitals? They would care less if it was Assad's people, YPG, or Christians. They would bomb them because all they care about is their warm water port. The United States, uh, if you're not going to fight proxy wars uh, to win then it's useless. You're just expending time and treasure again. Um, the reason I think they're trying to extend their footprint in Syria really to try to put some pressure on those tactical nodes that tie Al-Raqqa and uh, Mosul, uh, and by doing so, they believe that they can fight a easier fight than Mosul. Right now, the current administration is rushing the fight to Mosul uh, because they want to make sure it's actually executed in fall uh, before the election and all they're going to do is get a lot of people killed there the Iraqi army and the Iranian militias that we are supporting currently through our bombing efforts are not capable of executing that fight they don't know the in, uh, internal issues of how Mosul is going to shape up they don't even have a plan after Mosul is cleared uh, all you're doing is uh, le leading to more bloodshed between these groups and they're not going to forget it. The problem for the Syrians is we're stuck. We're stuck in the middle because the U.S. just doesn't want to support us at any level. I'll tell you, as I mentioned previously, the 2017 SFOP bill, uh, which is being hailed as being this great piece of legislation that's supposedly going to support and give money in 2017 to the Syrians, possibly, if you look at the one that is on the calendar, it doesn't even mention the name of Syria. So we could wait till 2017. By then, it might be too late. We got refugees in camps. We have individuals being bombed all the time. We got forces that are barely holding their footprint. And we got U.S. policymakers that are stumbling their way through the region and not knowing literally what they want to have as a final outcome. If the final outcome is to turn the area to the Russians, then go ahead, get involved in Syria. If the outcome is not to turn over the Middle East to the Russians, then really think about whether or not you're supporting the right people on the ground. Uh, it goes back to us right now being here for public support, needing money to survive, and really requesting that money in order to be able to keep at least the Syrian army on the ground. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, ha where you have a partner uh, who's been very capable, proven it on a battlefield, never came and asked you for dollars, said just give me the support and the training, and you couldn't even muster that. You have the greatest military in the world. I know I fought in it. You have the greatest equipment in the world. I know I've used it. 
you have money that you could throw at any problem. Trust me, I've used it, and sometimes we waste a lot of money down the range. The two other pieces that you need are synced military and synced government leadership. When that doesn't exist, is a leadership issue. And I don't really see right now, from the perspective of Syrians, who can come and fix these problems over the next four years or who can sink these efforts. Because you have to make a decision. Are you willing to allow Russia to take over that region? If it is yes, let everybody know, because that's where it's headed. If it's no, then you cannot just do these little print perks here. Biden's going to Turkey tomorrow to talk to Erdogan. Do you think Erdogan's going to listen to Biden or he's going to say, oh, now the United States is here, I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to support U.S., and I'm not going to flip to the Russians as he has done? No. Do you think the Kurds are going to not hedge their bets with the Russians now, given the fact that they know that the jig is up and that possibly that they're losing ground? No. So who are you fighting for? when you go into Syria for the United States or for others? The answer to that question, I think, if folks, if you go to uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari, who is our guest speaking now, if you go to his website, that's the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, the web address as listed in our program description is nec-se.com. Watch the videos there. Watch, as well as the most recent video posted yesterday. If you watch that, he does a great job of explaining all of this in exquisite detail, in my view. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, the I totally agree, by the way, with respect to Biden and Turkey and all of this. If I can ask one question that I've, I've really, I was left with, and after watching the videos and reading on your website but I, I want to bring this to the from the people to you um, Benghazi Libya the takedown of Libya you in you insinuary in, in, intimated at this earlier that whole operation or was that whole operation as we had claimed to arm the I'll say what is now Isis to take out Assad and did this contribute immensely to this problem that we're facing today? The decisions that were made were made based on economic requirements. And that's why you have to have your country's economy strong. When your country's economy is strong, then you're not going to fall into these traps. The United States put itself in a position where it realized Europe's about to collapse economically. Our money and our debt was tied to foreign nations. If it wasn't for Japan coming in and actually buying our debt uh, in October of 2014, we probably would have been under pressure from China. Iran realized that we were having problems, so Iran used our debt against us. That's why they were able to flip such a deal for themselves. And when they did it, they basically lured us in under the belief that we were going to have first access to their markets. And then right off the bat, the Europeans, who were supposed to stand by us, ran to Iran and said, 
listen, we want to be the first ones to have access to your markets. So what happened? U.S. was stuck on the outside again. The entire coalition that was supposed to work on this process of developing the Iranian markets over the next 20 years basically failed. So our debt is now in the hands of the Japanese, and it's been there. And Japan cannot sell it. If it sells it and sells it short, uh, it will affect our economy here again. Uh, so Japan is holding it, but how does Russia force Japan and force our hand? At the same time Russia moves into Syria, it's amazing how suddenly North Korea, who's an ally of Russia, puts pressure on Japan. And suddenly you see expansions from China, who is part of the uh, Shanghai Corporation Organization, expand its footprint where it becomes a threat to not only Japan but Australia and other possible footprint for economic development in the future in those regions. The reason why now you have bombers that are capable of delivering nuclear bombs sitting in Guam is because U.S. has been playing from behind. They've been getting checkmated. So to go back to your question of what happened with Libya why Syria uh, fell uh, as it did. It was tied to economics. It was tied to economics. And those economics now are still driving the larger foreign policy for the United States. U.S. under the current administration had a belief that if they adapted to the uh, model that the Chinese had presented, that it's really economics, it's not the people, that you could have this world where United States could be able to have a very uh, capable economy tied to the rest of South America. At the same time, China would be able to prosper itself in Asia uh, while everybody competed in North Africa for resources, not thinking that China has had a large footprint going back to their 50-year plan in Africa to begin with. And then the Middle East, with the new redesign coming up, we'll be able to satisfy and help everybody to include save Europe. Europe's done. You killed Europe. You made the wrong economic deal with Iran. Israel in itself right now, you put Israel in a position where Israel has pivoted to Russia. And Israel now is pivoting to the Asian economies. In the next 15 to 20 years, Israel probably will do more business with Asia than is capable of doing business with Europe. You have put yourself in a position where you have not just lost tactical footprint, you have lost an entire footprint in the region. Now, taking you back to the Middle East, everything you have done has put the Christians in a position that the root of Christianity is going to get wiped out. And you did it because you thought you were making smart economic decisions for the long run as you looked at globalizing this entire global economy to the benefit of whomever. Uh, it definitely hasn't been for the minorities. The minorities, whether it be Yazidi or Syrian, are getting absolutely pummeled in the region because when you allow Russia to come in, Russia comes in and brings with it the capabilities 
of how it controls a region, which means I bomb hospitals, regardless of who's in it, and I put people in prison camps if they don't listen to me. Same thing with when you bring China into a region. They come in and say, you go sit in a prison camp and make factory items for me. America literally, in this equation, under this administration, sold its soul, thinking that economically I'll benefit. Not only are you losing our economic footprint, you're losing political footprint, you're losing political leverage. And if you wanted to get to a point where the future wars were going to be simpler wars, you just made them bloodier. You know, we have congressmen who sit here and say, no child left behind. I've had young Assyrian squirrel girls who haven't had education for two years. I have kids in refugee camps where others from other ethnical groups come along and dump scorpions in their camps to see how many of them get bit. I have Assyrians living in parking lots in villages downstream where upstream they defecate and urinate in their waters. I have Assyrians who literally cannot feed themselves who are fighting on the front lines and you're telling them the only way I'm going to support you is if you do what I tell you and go register with Ministry of uh, Defense, go fight on the Hashishabi and go be in the front lines and get killed in Mosul at no benefit to you strategically and at no benefit to me. This is absolutely ridiculous and is embarrassing. And every single individual who walks the halls of Congress should be embarrassed about what they have allowed this country to get to. Shame on you for embarrassing our country. Shame on you for putting yourself under uh, everyone else's uh, footprint. Shame on you for being allies with individuals who don't care about you. We lost too many friends downrange. And I personally will not allow that to happen. The Syrian army has a footprint. The Syrian army is fighting. You need to support them. If the U.S. Congress is not going to support them, then we ask the people of the United States, please support us so we can at least hold the reach open until somebody understands what's happening in the region. Uh, I want to give a chance for Matthew to talk. I want to give a chance for the commander to talk. I hope that kind of makes you understand where we are when it comes to the critical points of why the Assyrians have to be there and what is happening physically to us. Yes, very much so. And um, we should bring Matt on right after the break. we got a break in about one minute. And when we come back, we will bring and hear from Matt. And folks, again, uh, we are talking with some gentlemen who are on the front lines in Syria dealing with the uh, Islamic State. This is the, the fighters. Army. Uh, right, right. Dealing with the instability, the war-torn, uh, human right atrocity-filled areas of the Middle East and standing up for Christians, protecting Christians, uh, protecting those people who belong at their at their home country and they are one of the few who are standing for the right reasons not for defense contracts not for notoriety or popularity but to save to stand in the gap to save the lives of their fellow Christian neighbors 
This is a war for survival and for the survival of Christianity. You know that that's folks. That's a big that's a big picture. I mean, understand the big picture. A view from cruising altitude. There it is, and uh, the lieutenant colonel explained it very well. On the other side of this break, the commander's back for for additional discussion. You, you know, folks. I, I heard a song, kind of a throwback to the '80s. We we need a hero. I think it was the name of the song. You're talking to heroes, or you're listening to heroes, I should say. And I don't use that term lightly. They're on the front lines. You heard them. That's right. This is a very special show, and uh, we want to thank our guests for coming on. Um, folks, go to nec-se.com for their website, Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. We'll be right back. Hagman and Hagman Report. Folks, that's where you're at. That's the place to be right here on the Global Star Radio Network, nationally, internationally, reaching all parts of the earth right now. We've got a special program, special guests reporting from the front lines for fighting for the Assyrian Christian Army. You know, um, the only, only formidable force right now that's keeping the, the complete extinction, the genocide of Christians and other minority groups, while the members, the Congress critters here, who walk the halls in Congress, and and uh, I'm going to wear make a sound clip of, of Lieutenant Colonel um, Sergeant Sangari. I thought that was just a brilliant statement that he made. You know, shame on you, shame on each one of you for bowing to the economic interests yeah. as opposed to the. Uh, to, to the real interests. You certainly will never hear this man or his message on any news station, mainstream news station, and very few alternative stations as the truth about the level of evil and violence is suppressed in order to continue a demonic agenda right. to bring about a reshaping of the Middle East through a caliphate. And, and you know what, Joe? If if look, the, the bigger view here, and, and I and I loved one of the uh, one, one of the interviews that uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, uh, Sangari did mentioned about uh, you know if they're successful and they're trying to be successful in the in the broader scope to prove the Bible wrong, the Holy Christian Bible wrong. So every Christian listening to this, and, and that's our core audience across the mm-hmm. world. Every Christian listening to this, if this does not move you. To help these people out, not now through prayer at the very least. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or through exposure. You know, don't say we, folks, we bring you the information. Don't say, well, you know, I can't do anything. You sure can. And and go go to, go to this. Go to the website, his website, uh, the Near East Center uh, for Strategic Engagement. That's nec se dot com, and listen. Watch the video videos 
on that website. And, and listen to this lieutenant colonel retired from the U.S. military, U.S. Army, with more commendations, seen more battle, seen everything over there in the Middle East. So he knows of which he speaks. But for him to, to, to lay this all out, um, wow. And, and for, for us as Christians to say, well, we can't do anything. Sure we can. We can tell our Congress, Congress people. We can tell everyone globally. We need to get behind the Assyrian Christian army. You know, Paul McGuire talks very quickly. Paul McGuire talks about this revival in America. Well, how about the revival and the survival of the Christians and the minorities in the Middle East who are getting pummeled because of policy, because of agendas, because yeah. of the money train that's, that's filtering Washington D.C. I don't, I don't, no. I really don't want to. With an awakening, with in a, with a revival, there needs to not only come the recognition of God and and His will for us, there also needs to come actions on our part. Indeed, and and that's right. So, folks, the link to donate is off of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, NEC-SE.com. We will be. Uh, donating as soon as the program concludes tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm making that statement because, you know, if we don't set the example, then shame on us. Yeah. And that's number one. Number two, you can also go, and this is the, uh, um, uh, the other, uh, website, the United Assyrian Appeal, which is unitedassyrianappeal.org. We will be posting them on our website, Hagman and Hagman tomorrow, and, uh, asking you to generally support them generously support them as well as pray for the people on the front lines pay pray if for not those. you who i mean that's right there you go if not you who and, and the lieutenant colonel made a wonderful uh, uh presentation talking about the soldier the assyrian soldier folks i'm not going to spoil it for you go to uh sec or uh, i'm sorry go to uh nec-se.org and uh Watch the video there about the, and, and listen to what this Lieutenant Colonel says about the Assyrian soldier and about how it moved him to action. Lieutenant Colonel, we're going to turn it back over to you, sir. You bring on whoever, however you want, because uh, you got people on the front lines. You're the commander, sir. Go for it. Uh, I want to bring Matthew online and let him talk about his experience recently. I think the commander. Uh, needs to be heard from and then I will close out with a piece as to why Christian Assyrians need to be protected it is a root of Christianity and if it dies everybody else will die with it and we'll explain that a little bit more detail but if Matthew can come on that would be appreciated alright how's it going guys thanks for having me on thanks for, sure. uh, thanks thanks for your time, time. You're up, sir. Go ahead. Are you still there, Matthew? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Um, just fire away, man. Fire when ready. I mean, not literally now. No, no. <laughs> no, I mean, just go, go ahead. Sure. Um, what would you guys like to know? Well, first of all, what, what, well, Lieutenant Colonel, go ahead and, uh, what, what, um, specifically, what, what would you like Matthew to focus on here? Because you, you, I really want you to direct this. Uh, Matthew, it's me, Emmanuel. Uh, uh, explain your experience uh, and what you see 
there in in uh, uh, our Dukhnosha Syrian army uh, when you've been there for uh, one month uh, in the front line and uh, what you need to say to the uh, American people okay well um, I don't know how deep I can get into this but well I've you know never left the United States uh I was born in Chicago. Um, you know, July of 2014, I I heard about the atrocities that was occurring in Iraq and Syria. And so, you know, what what am I to do other than do what my heart tells me to do is uh, to go there and you know fight the evil. So, so this past year in May, uh, I had booked a ticket to Iraq and got in touch with the Dwachnosha guys and I was able to make my way to the front line um, you know there's a lot of obstacles getting there but um, one of the difficulties is was the uh, residency card um, you know it's a it's a tough situation so um, there's very little support uh, very little um, do people know what the Assyrians are or what we're doing out there and what has um, you know ISIS or Daesh you know have done to the Christians in the Middle East um, you know it was you know I have no military experience so um, going going to the front line was definitely a life experience and a eye opener um, you know I, if there's any specific questions I can answer um, other than that, um, sure. You know, in in the U.S. here, and I'm sure you're very familiar with it. The media paints a picture of what's happening over there that is often so far from the truth. The foreign policy of our government uh, says that they are you know, wanting to topple the Assad regime, at the same time, fight ISIS. But numerous reports and evidence has shown that they have continued not only to support ISIS through third-party weapons exchanges, but our press and the radical Islam, uh, as they refuse to name it, and our press seems to be supporting um what is happening with the Arab Spring and the the migrant uh, the, the immigration crisis in the West? Um, what do you see in Syria? How how can this, or how do you think this will end? This uh, Arab Spring, will this be a world war scenario, or will this be able to be ended before it gets to that point? Um, you know, I'm not too sure about that, but um, the media does want you know the people to know certain things and there's a lot of censorship I agree with that um, you know as far as support I'm not sure you know if um, you know who is supporting Daesh or ISIL um, but I do know that um, it does make a difference you know what the people know um, but it would help if the media you know would not censor so much but just, it's good for the people to know the truth and the reality of life and what's going on out there. 
Um, you know, as far as it being a World War Three situation, I'm not sure. Um, that's, you know, anything is possible. I'm sure it may lead to a war somewhere else, or, you know, it might be a, a war zone, a World War Three main area. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not experienced. I have no military experience. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, my my calculations would probably be off. All right. Well, let, let's approach this a little bit differently. Um, what do you see on the ground as a fighter now? Are you uh, aside from? I mean, who are you actually engaging? Because we're not hearing um, everything here in the United States. We're so blocked out; it's not even funny. So, who are you engaging, and who is helping those? Who's helping the enemy over there? Because you got to be firing in every different direction. Yeah, it's, a, it's you know it's a very difficult and complex situation. Um, physically, you know, you're out there, you're fighting ISIL. Politically, you know, there's probably a lot of um, a lot of people involved. I'm not sure, but it, you know, the problem comes politically. I would say, um, you know, fighting on the battlefield—that's one thing, but you know, that's two different wars. You've got a political war, and you've got a a hands-on war. So, okay, well, on the on the ground, there are are, are you fighting? Mm-hmm. And and this might be. I don't even know how you'd answer this or if you can, but uh, are, are you fighting an enemy, you know, in ISIS that um, is using American equipment, you know, stamped made in America or made in France or whatever? Um, is that what you're up against? Are you up against the the uh, equipment and, and weaponry that, that was left over by the American and coalition forces? Um, you know, there's a lot of American weapons, you know, all over um but there's different ways that, you know, they receive their weapons. Um, they can receive them from, you know, the Kurds. They could receive them from all other forces around Iraq. Um, you know, there's different troops, different Muslim fighters out there that, you know, also have American weapons. But, you know, I don't know who's supplying who out there. I just know um, that our weaponry is a lot weaker than what we're fighting against. Um they definitely have more powerful weapons and more uh, able weapons than we do. Matthew, if I could step in on this one, and I think what Matthew's trying to get at, uh, just to kind of give you a scenario of what he's trying to point to, is the fact that on the day after the Jordanian pilot was burned in a cage, Jordan, as it was bombing ISIS positions, opened this border to allow Saudi Arabia to transition through Jordan with 18 truck convoy to resupply other ISIS elements to fight against Assad regime. Now, this is a complexity of it, folks. At the same time, Europe sends weapons to the KRG, and these are open source. This is not something top secret. Most of the weapons are ending up in the hands of ISIS. Um, right now, if you go to this uh, uh, university, American University in uh, Erbil, and you ask the students, 75% of them who are Kurds, 
who have actually been protected by U.S. forces have been raised under the U.S. force protection for the past 25 years will say that they're sympathetic to ISIS. 300 members of the Kurdish uh, uh, religious uh, 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 religious uh, section literally joined ISIS. We know that. That's a fact. That's even been reported by Kurdish news media. So, look, uh, uh, this war has multiple legs to it. Uh, ISIS has become a franchise. Almost everybody has ISIS now, and almost everybody supports it. Uh, during the Vietnam War, we talked about uh, 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 dumbing the effects, domino. Uh, domino effects. So the, the loss of one location uh, is the first domino. So the loss of the Middle East is the first domino and the loss of Europe. And the last domino is the United States. The breach point to the United States is not in uh, Florida. The breach point to the United States is not in uh, uh, San Bernardino. It is in Iraq and its Middle East. Now, we have a breach point. We've kept it open. We've been paying out of our pockets to keep it open. All we have asked for the United States don't give me an uh, embed. Don't give me an American Special Force to go fight with me. Train, support, let me do the fight. I've already shown you I've done it. If your congressman today go to the Office of Strategic Defense or they go to the uh, Near East Affairs at the State Department or they go and ask specifically through a FOIA request to say, give me the truth about the Syrian army, You'll be shocked what this force has done without any support. And the reason we did it that way was because we wanted to show that there's a capable Christian army force on the ground to get do it on itself, by itself. But we need support. Just like France support the United States, we needed support. You know, after we have shown our capability on the battlefield. I want you to listen to the commander a little bit. Let him explain this piece of what's happening in the Middle East much broader. And I think that will give you a better perspective. All right, sir. Go ahead, commander. Uh, uh, actually, and uh, 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 you ask uh, Matthew and you, uh, uh, even the Lieutenant Colonel Sergei Sengeri, whose support ISIS or Daesh Daesh is everywhere Daesh is mentality they are not uh, 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 several hundreds or several thousands in, in Syria and Iraq they are in every in every culture think or thought of their Islamic radical they are in the mentality of the Islam this is, this is what we are talking about uh, the, the, the radical you, you can, this is not something new if you ask why, why when, when uh, they make uh, uh, 
a comics draw uh, 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 in 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 Denmark or or uh, Charlie Hebdo, they attack, and everywhere they they become uh, uh, protesters, in 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 the in the uh, uh, all the Islamic world, but until now, no one no one go out to the street and say that Daesh doesn't represent Islam. I'm not a, a, a resist man, but this is what 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 uh, I see in 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 fact. When I when I see that the the Iraqi new democracy that United States want to build at this time in 2016, they want to convert uh, uh, the child under 18 to Islam if one of his parents become convert his religion to Islam this is not not the country that you can you can live with so for that we are we are talking about about something uh, 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 to be to save our our community to to live in dignity but unfortunately the the United States government, they are working with the with the major uh, with big politics. Why with groups? Why? Because they they need uh, uh, any administration came. They need they need uh, a victory for them, so they can go or or uh, uh, they can say that we end our administration with a victory. Uh, 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 to the uh, enemy of the uh, human human uh, rights or or the human. This is the problem. This is what what we are facing. Uh, the situation in the Middle East it's now complex, uh, and uh, uh, if it is go in this way, what is uh, uh, like uh, Lieutenant Colonel say? Uh, everything will we we are lose we are lose the Christianity we are lose the 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 uh, indigenous people in that land but we are here to ask help us we are here to ask that United States of America must return great again must return victory again must they they must return to be a powerful a peace powerful in the world we know that uh, too many politics too many politicians are are working in in a different way but in this way we we will lose the minorities in the in the middle east and uh, for sure no one can ask about them what's happening but in the future they will write this history, what is going on or what happened that when they came uh, uh, in 2003 uh, United States they came with, with uh, uh, a dream to bring a dream to the, to the uh, uh, country that uh, suffering from the dictatorship of Saddam Hussein to be a democracy but we, what we are seeing now it's a different dream. It's uh, uh, it's uh, something 
uh, uh, like tragedy happened to our community. Yes. Commander, um, if I can ask this, was the plan in 2003, was that hatched with good intention and then hijacked perhaps with the onset or with the, or, or hijacked by, uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton or was it ill-fated from the beginning? Uh, uh, really, I, I cannot uh, uh, mention directly, but uh, uh, it is uh, hijacked uh, since 2007 when uh, uh, they, they, uh, br- uh, the uh, Bush administration uh, at that time uh, they asked to to bring uh, safe haven to the Christian and you know the American troops are, uh, uh, they've been there at that time before they uh, came out uh, in uh, 2011 uh, but uh, actually uh, at that time uh, part of church of Christian church became under pressure from uh, uh, different uh, uh, political groups, big groups. For that, they they really they they mentioned that uh, they cannot accept that safe haven. But after 2007, what we see here on the ground that we uh, that see uh, uh, our our people, they are more become refugees. They are more come uh, fleeted from the country and. Uh, knock the doors uh, for the uh, uh, European countries and to United States and Australia they cannot live there uh, so this is what happened in, uh, at that time okay understood and very well explained I mean folks if you follow that Lucali from uh, who's listening live in Italy wants to know this is a general question and I think this is probably on many people's minds um over the last eight years, and I, I, su- I suspect that that that's uh, referencing uh, this particular Obama regimes uh, in the Clinton uh, Department of State over the last eight years or so. To what extent? How many Christians have been and, and minorities in in the Middle East, whether it be Syria, Iraq, Iran, uh, Afghanistan? How how many have been uh, exterminated? Uh, uh, well, uh, I can exactly give numbers uh, from uh, uh, Iraq, uh, even in Syria. I know that uh, uh, in Syria, uh, our our Christian, uh, Syrian Christian people, they are uh, they've been uh, to twenty one uh, percentage of the uh, uh, total people of Syria. But uh, now, maybe they are less than uh, twelve percentage. But in Iraq, what I'm, I'm uh, sure from that, that uh, uh, we lose 90, 95% of our people. 90 to 95%, folks. That's... Nine, 95, no. 95% okay. of our people. Because uh, in one district in Baghdad, uh, uh, in one district and ba- in Baghdad, all the churches, all the churches, different names... Uh, uh, we have uh, there before 2003 they've been there uh, uh, more than 30 
4,000 uh, uh, families. 34,000 families. Commander, Commander, you're going to have to stop you right there. We're at a hard break. Final segment coming up. All right, folks, this is our final segment with Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari. His website, of course, is the Northeast Center for Strategic Engagement. That is the, um, the URL for that, folks. Mark it down, please. It is nec-se.com. Where you can help out the United Assyrian Appeal is unitedassyrianappeal.org we'll be posting both of those websites in the, well we we posted them but we'll be posting both of them in our um on our web or uh website hagmanandhagman.com you're listening to the hagman and hagman report complex subject to to really tackle however if you understand this the Assyrian Christian army is standing between the genocide of the minorities and Christians in the Middle East, that's Iraq and Syria, fighting off ISIS using their own money, weapons they were able to to to, to grab as they could, buy as they could. We as Christians don't just have the opportunity, but I, in my view, we have the obligation to help them. Otherwise, what, what are the choices? Extermination, genocide. And the intent here, I think the bigger intent is to prove the Bible wrong that according to the, according to the Muslim, uh, uh terrorists and, and those who want to reshape the power structure of the Middle East. And Lieutenant Colonel Sangari really hit it home, I think, by saying, you know, the footprint, you lose the footprint, the, you don't retake ground once you've lost it, essentially. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the idea. And the power base operates off of money, special interests, lobby groups. But, folks, you see how big this this is? I hope you can see how big this is. And I hope, whether it's the the, the, the shortest of prayers to the biggest of donations, that, that we, we all get behind these individuals, these heroes, and help them and do and do so now. I know we are. And I ask you to, to, I ask you to as well. Lieutenant Colonel, you got the, uh, final segment here. Go anywhere uh, you want. I, yeah, I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about why Islamic State is going after Assyrians. I've been told multiple times, why are you fighting there? Why don't you just leave, go to the West? Because if you leave and go to the West, you are literally killing the root of Christianity, period. That's all you're doing. So where have you come? And to be honest, I don't think U.S. has had a coherent foreign policy in the Middle East since 79. So let's put everybody under the bus if need be. But we have gone from basically replacing dictators like Saddam with Islamic dictatorship now. And that's actually what you're creating in the regions. When I was young, my mom used to show me photos of our family and when my family members went to picnics, whatever it was, my uncles in different villages or my 
other uncles who were in Iraq and different villages. I always saw him sitting in a picture where you have the head of the family sitting at the front with a two of his most dedicated advisors to the, his left and right, and everybody else sat long table or on the ground even along the uh, uh, along the ground at the supper table eating together, and we call it supra. That's actually the word we use. And I asked my mother one time, I go, why do Assyrians all sit the same way regardless of where they are when they're eating dinner? And she said, well, that's our tradition. That's how we do it. That's how it's been done for years, if not hundreds, thousands of years. If you go to the Bible and you look at the Last Supper, um, for those who understand it, better than me uh, or may not have an understanding as much in the last supper um, when they were establishing it getting ready for Jesus' preaching Jesus' preaching for the last supper was where he was talking about first shall be last last shall be first and in that process what he did was he went around washed the feet of his disciples and in the process of washing the feet of his disciples, he came to what was a discussion with Peter. But if you think about it from an certain perspective, and you'll understand where I'm trying to lead with this, it was more of an argument. Um, I had a Catholic priest in Chicago who had been preaching here for 30 years. And I asked him, I said, Father, can you explain to me what that whole discussion was that was taking place? And obviously the Catholic priest said, well, you know, it was a discussion between uh, Peter and Jesus where Peter was humble, that Jesus wanted to wash his feet, and that, uh, uh, you know, at the end, uh, Peter says, well, if that's the case, then wash my entire body uh, to show his... Uh, humbleness to the Lord and I said you know what chaplain let me tell you from a, a certain perspective Peter wasn't happy that Jesus was washing his feet and he wasn't happy that he was having his feet washed at the end Peter was angry at Jesus because Jesus had removed them from the position that all Assyrians who are second in command sit, whether in a family structure or as you see the commander in one of the photos that was sent when he's eating with his troops. That was an argument that Peter had with Jesus. He didn't understand the lesson Jesus was trying to teach him. So when Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet, and now Jesus has come to Peter with this water you want to say water bucket whatever you want to call it that is filled with mud and soil Jesus wasn't happy and when Peter says wash my entire body he was basically mocking Jesus saying if you're going to put my feet in that muddy soil then you might as well wash my entire body now if you look at the perspective of what transpires during that dinner who sits next to Jesus in that position that in Assyrian we say, O Bush Chobanat 
قربا الله الادارستو او بشلو دا منوخ ايلمتت لطاما meaning the most trusted sits at your right hand the troublemaker sits there too the youngest one who doesn't listen in that structure Peter doesn't go to Jesus when Jesus says somebody's about to betray me he wants to know what is going on when Jesus is asked by his disciple as to what is going on he says the person I'm going to dip my bread with and that individual is the individual that was Judas who was replaced in that position now when you understand the Bible because you have lived the Bible culturally from day to day based on how you eat how you respect your elders how you communicate to them I could not get up from the tables that I sat in and I could not get up from those T-shaped tables that we, or supras that we sat outside in picnics and go directly to the head and talk to them. I had to go either to their left or to their right. In this case, what the Bible is describing to you is the fact that Jesus sat at a T-shaped table for his last supper and practiced the culture of the day, which the Assyrians have preserved and kept for their entire 2,000 years of Christianity in the Middle East. You see, the most famous artist of Christianity who Rome allowed and dedicated the entire chapels, Sistine chapels for him to draw paintings on, got it wrong. Why? He was a dedicated Christian. He had the power of Roman Catholic Church behind him, but he got the Christian portion of the culture wrong. Jesus Christ was born a Jew. He chose to speak Assyrian, Aramaic. He practiced the Assyrian Aramaic culture. He lived it every day. He taught it to his disciples. He participated in it. And the last words of his bread on the cross were in Assyrian. If you eradicate this culture of Assyrians, whether bringing him to the West and having him basically be intermixed with other Christians and groups in the region here in the West, completely losing their language, completely losing their culture, or whether you replace them with others in the region. Look, I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm what you call a Chaldean, someone who has converted to the Catholic faith. My wife is from the Eastern Church, which the commander is from. My two sons are Catholics. My daughters are of the Eastern faith. But I do know that my culture is Assyrian, Today, the churches are not united. The Roman Catholic Church recently opened up a university in Erbil. They didn't open up that Catholic university to convert Sunni Muslim Kurds to become Christians. They established it to expand their footprint. These churches have to unite and work together. And they have to understand, regardless of what church you're from, regardless of where your foot footing is, regardless of your politics, if the root of Christianity is wiped out, the Bible as you know it will not be understood because the culture that Jesus Christ chose to preach in, talk in, take his last breath in, is going to be wiped out. If you look at the Bible, 
as much as, as Israel is an important part of the entire Bible structure. Jesus starts with an Assyria. God starts with the description of Assyria in Genesis 2. He doesn't start with Iraq. He doesn't start with Kurdish regional government. He doesn't start with Iran. He doesn't start with Russia. He doesn't start with America. He describes the physical structure. And then he has his prophets in the Old Testament in Isaiah 19 to 23 say that if you want peace in the region, you have to have these three elements. You have to have Israel, you have to have an Assyria, you have to have Assyrians. If you replace these folks, you kill the root of Christianity, then your famous artists in the West are going to be painting Jesus eating on a long table, which is in all of our houses, which is completely wrong. and is not how the Last Supper was executed. You will never understand the Bible, even if you're a Catholic priest who's been preaching for 35 years. And when a young man asks for you to explain that story, even you cannot explain it correctly. Look, folks, Christianity root is dying. If you allow it to die, you will kill Christianity throughout the world. This is and how there it is. is. And there it is. Therein lies the, I mean, you just you just summed it up so nicely, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Sangari. Thank you for for doing that. In the waning moments of the program, Commander, is, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Uh, uh, I want to appreciate it, uh, this opportunity for us, and thank you again. Uh, uh, I want to ask the American people to save the Christianity uh, to save our roots to let the indigenous people live in the in dignity in that area all that we ask is for uh, help our people to stay there and I I believe in generosity of uh, uh, American people and uh, their the, their love to the to the Jesus Christ. So I'm asking to be America and to become strong again. That's all. What the, what can I say? You close it out nicely. And we will we will close we will wind down this program accordingly. Uh, my thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari and Commander, all of you, those on the front lines. Thank you for doing what you do. Please stay safe, Lieutenant Colonel. We will be in touch, and I do hope the generosity of our people, our listeners, blesses blesses you and and keeps you fighting another day, another battle. Yeah, God bless you guys. Thank, Thank you, you so God much. God bless you, both of you. God bless you all. Thank all you. All of you. Good night. Night. Ladies and gentlemen, you've listened. What you heard was Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari, and two, two key commanders here, one on the ground in country. Oh, yeah, on the cell phone, on a cell phone, on alert fighting ISIS. 
folks, let me just... Doesn't get more real than that. No, no. And I, I just wonder, with all of the power the media has, the Sean Hannity's, the Limbaugh's, and I'm not saying this to, to denigrate those, those hosts, but with all the power that they have, why aren't they talking to these people? Why aren't these people? Why? Because it will hit why the leave it up to us of the matter, and is you know for whatever it's worth, what uh, people put the stock they put into Sean Hannity and, and Bill O'Reilly and these other talking heads. Oh, not to man. say they don't serve a purpose, but they are dangerous. As Benjamin Franklin said, the 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 most dangerous type of truth is the one with partial a partial lie right and i know sean hannity is very smart when uh, this is just a quick example when the obamacare legislation was out and the bill was being read he had a few people on his show that's part of his staff that are very fluent in the uh legal language of the bill and they understand and the problem with that is, is when they reported on the bill and the different facets and ins and outs of it, it's almost like they intentionally left out some of the most important parts. Well, they did. I, I mean, and they do this for, for, lying by omission. And they do this, you know, for every story, it seems, unless it serves their agenda. Now, whether they do it because they have to, otherwise they lose their job, or because they want to, because they enjoy covering for their overlords, if you will, um, I hope it's not the latter. But well, there's going to come a point <clears throat> in time where each and every one of us is going to have to choose between our current life on this earth, the way we love it, and taking up our cross and being the example that Jesus left for us. Well, I just want to circle this back around <clears throat> to tonight's program. In speaking with these gentlemen, again, you know, we... Uh, I, I don't know how many people really understand what it what it took to to coordinate this. I want to thank JD for uh, uh, reaching out and and being able to corral um, the lieutenant colonel here. And uh, but 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 he, but here's the thing: we can play a part. We must play a part. It is our duty to play a part as Christians to in order to save. You heard him to save the culture. It, not to not to bring people over here. Ninety percent. You heard ninety to ninety-five percent of the Christians in the Middle East, in Iraq, in Syria have been have been killed, exterminated, genocide over had the last to be 10 moved. Years. Yeah. Well, uh, some had to be moved, but I, but you said the other day, twenty-three out of three thousand some odd. Yeah. You know, one of the statistics from Syria, there was three thousand seven hundred and twenty-six refugees. Out of those, twenty-three were Christian. All right. So and then we saw the Pew Research polls where they said, yeah. you know, twenty thousand out of the sixty thousand were Christians. It is in the single to lower single digits when it comes to Christians versus the entirety of the immigrants who are coming over here. Well, you know, but but what you heard these, what you heard from from tonight, you heard the reality of it. The right, these people are fighting formed the Assyrian Christian army. They are, uh, they, they actually, and, and speaking with the Lieutenant Colonel off air, and I, hopefully I'm not breaking any confidences, he, he went to the State Department after yeah. they, after they formed this army, they went to the State Department and said, look what we've done. Well, think Here, about we're the, giving this to you. Think about the billions of dollars, the other and more billions that go into the, you know, Blackwaters and these other, 
uh, self-contractors and mercenaries, the billions that go into the equipment, the billions that arm the Syrian rebels, the billions that are sent to Iran. Yeah. Yet these people are one of the only few groups doing the, the right thing for what the UN's purposes say, state that they are for, That's which right. is to protect humans and, and be there for humanitarian crisis. These people are the ones stepping in the gap and filling that need, yet they can't get help from the State Department. They can't get help from the federal government. The federal government is too busy sending weapons to the people they're fighting. The federal government is too busy filling the agenda, finishing the agenda, that they started to destabilize the Middle East and rid it of all Christians and those who will not submit to Islam. It is a genocide that spans across religious and cultural it's so right. Differences. And, and I, I still stand by my statement in talking with the lieutenant colonel. The, the intent here is to, is to prove the Bible false, to prove the, the, the prophets <laughs> of the Holy Bible. And they're that, proving it true. <laughs> well, right. You know, through, essentially they are. Yeah. But the larger, the larger picture here is to destroy our God. And, and, you know, and although they do lieutenant that colonel through destroying our belief system first. On air, I, they wouldn't, I mean, you've got to be very careful in how you, how you talk. And military man, lieutenant colonel, highly decorated, this guy, again, you can read his bio. Uh, it would take a whole show to read his experiences, operational experience in bio, but, but the bottom line is this. You know, he, he said, look, you've got, I mean, well, no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'll just say this. The, the intent is to, to eradicate Christianity. And that's the bigger intent. And I, I, folks, I don't know what it's gonna take for us to, to learn this as a country. I don't know what it's gonna take, how many people we have to bring on, how many people that we have to support. But I, I'll tell you one thing. These are the real deal. These people are, are fighting for these, for, for the, the Christians in the, in the Middle East. And without our help, uh, each individual help, I mean, I, if I could, I would go over and, and fight side by side with these people. It's that big of a deal. It'd be scary, but it, it's our duty. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I, I don't know. And that's an honest statement. I don't know anymore what, I, I really think this is a good depiction of the end of days because it is yeah here we are a ragtag and you know what paul mcguire was right too joe he he, you know he's talking about the revival but it's us each one of us individually making those individual decisions like these men and and think about that here's a guy over in mosul on the telephone to us Holding an, uh, you know, an AR or a M1 or whatever, well, I don't know what they fight with, but, but they're fighting with automatic weapons and, and, and talking to us, giving us a sit rep out there and saying, yeah, you know, we're on alert. We're, you know, we're trying to, right. trying to, doing, doing what we should be doing. And I don't want to really pound this too hard, but I'll tell you something. I, I really would, I really hope that everyone who listens to this broadcast supports this cause. I, I, I was, I spent yeah. the majority of yesterday really trying to understand all aspects of this, but I can tell you one thing, and not that I do, but I can tell you one, one thing for sure. The money that they collect goes to directly to the fighters and to the fighters' families. I, I guess that would well, be I know you vet, appropriate. You vet them, and oh, you would man. not ask the audience or no. do anything yourself unless you trusted fully in 
what they yeah. were doing as being the truth. So that's that, that's uh, it, folks. And, and I mean, it's I, like sponsors that we get that we get the products, we test them. If we approve, yep. then we take them on. If we don't, we don't take them on. Well, that, that that's just it. So, folks, please. Um, but but to me now, looking at this, the compl- the complexity of this, and and the Department of State, the, the 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 failure of policy, plus the nefarious actions of the DOS and and the Obama Muslim regime. There it is. Point to this program. You got You might you might have to look. At, look the the accents and the language barrier might be a little bit tough right but yeah but but both you know listen to it again because and, and and tell others about it but the bottom line is this is a real deal the Syrian Christian army their website lieutenant colonel of course uh the sergeant sangari their website of course is uh nec the for near east center dash se for strategic engagement. That's nec-se.com. Dig deep, pray hard, and uh, that's it. Go ahead, Joe. While we have just a few minutes left, um, just a quick announcement for the rest of the week. Tomorrow, Holly Dale will be with us, hour number two, to talk about her latest book, Prophetic Perils. Stan Dale will be joining us the hour after that. On Wednesday, we have Pastor Chuck Baldwin coming on the first two hours of the show. It'll be his first appearance here on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thursday, author of Technocracy Rising, as well as some other books, Patrick Wood. You're not going to want to miss that program, folks. This man's on the cutting edge of technology, transhumanism, and how that plays into the biblical agenda, followed by Ted Brewer on Friday, so a full week. And I just wanted to make some comments about the historic flooding that has been happening in Louisiana. Um, We saw the numbers. We've been over them as the uh, number of people displaced are in the tens of thousands as the president plays his 300th round of golf. Uh, this past weekend, as ignore, Obama has ignored and is ignoring the historic flooding in Louisiana, the presidential candidate, Donald Trump, is showing his presidential uh, abilities. He took water, supplies, and food down yeah, to Louisiana. Wait a don't, don't believe that 49-second Play-Doh crap. Okay, and those of you... What's that? I didn't know yeah, okay. About. I did research just, on this, and Trump... Just if you hear anyone say, well, all you do is distribute Play-Doh, he's there for 49 seconds. No, so I he wasn't. It. I got all my notes here. He, he took his time off the campaign trail to go down and uh, spend time with the victims to bring the victims stuff that they needed, like food and water and supplies. That's right. right. I mean, this is something he did out of his own pocket. Right. He went out of his way to help these people. The media is so evil. Not only did they disrespect him for being the only human being in this election and helping people, they spun it to say he is taking this this devastation in Louisiana and using it as a political opportunity to score political points. Yet they they, they excoriated Bush for not landing over exactly Katrina. when when the disaster in in Louisiana happened with George Bush being the president, he was not there for at least seven days. And what he did was a flyover, uh, followed by a quick press conference with Mike Brown, and flew out of there. As over a week, people were waiting at the Superdome and other locations for help and rescue workers to arrive to bring them food and water. 
Katrina was a mess, though, regardless. Yeah, and but, President but this, Obama uh, has no, done no, nothing. No, no, no. Barry Satoro. Barry Satoro, the renegade-in-chief, the, the uh, president without a birth certificate, <laughs> um, shows his true colors. 300 round of golf. As bad yeah. in Louisiana, the damage is, is as bad or worse than Sandy. The only presidential candidate or person in office, Donald Trump, went to Louisiana with supplies, food, and took a leadership role as the presidential nominee and looked more presidential than not only the president, but then the nominee was the yak. It was the yak uh, she in was, Louisiana. She was sleeping. It was her or, break. Yeah, or, or, yeah. Uh, you know. But it just shows you. And then the Air Force he, One, they're going to have to do a, a, stair ma- a chairmaster. The media spins it to make him look like an opportunist and a bad guy. Chairmaster, whatever. Yeah. For helping these people. Well, it, and there it is. Of course, more, polit- more political theater in the larger sense, but nonetheless, you've got somebody doing something. And that's what we're trying to do here. Somebody do something. It's all it takes. And here it is. Assyrian Christian Army, Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Somebody do something, please. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help, uh, tr- trying to, to, well, when, when we stand before God and are judged, what did we do? Did we do anything when we had the opportunity? Here's our chance. At least one chance. Will we get another? I don't know. Folks, tomorrow night, as Joe said, Stan Dale, Holly preceded Dale. by Holly Dale, of course. Holly Dale coming on hour two, Stan hour three. And of course, first hour news. I want to thank Global Star Radio. Thank you so much. BTR, God bless. YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And again, thanks to the Lieutenant Colonel, the Commanders. God bless everyone. Good night.